But if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter five. That's where we'll be today. Hey, Logan, Chase, and Kelty, can I say to you guys and to Scott and, and Heidi, I just want to say to you, we are so proud of you for saying yes to the Lord. We're proud of you for saying yes to the Lord and for reminding us what the normal Christian life looks like, which is to say, Lord, whatever you tell me to do and wherever you tell me to go, my answer is yes. So thank you for demonstrating that for us so that we would be more faithful. Yes, church, we would do that too. So that was just on my mind. Uh, welcome those of you at home. Uh, we're glad you're joining us as well. I want to say a word specifically to you guys who are at home uh, today. I wanted to remind you of this. We are so glad that you're with us. And, you know, we provide online worship because we know that meets a need. For some of you, you're not able to get here. And that's what this is for. For those of you who are home but could be here, I just want to lovingly, as your pastor say, we want you to come and be with us. Because uh, worship is meant to be an embodied experience. It's richer when we're together in person. And so our desire is all, always that our online services would meet a need and be there for you if you're traveling, if you're sick, if you're unable to be present with us. We want you to take advantage of that. If you're able to, uh, though, we want you to be here in person because the Lord really calls us to come and rub shoulders with one another as a way of worshiping. That's always the better expression of worship. So we're glad you're with us. Uh, join us here together in the sanctuary uh, to worship. So we look forward to seeing you all. So that was just on my mind to say as an encouragement to you. All right, Matthew chapter five. We continue in our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, how many of you have you know sort of seen or been around a situation where someone does something and it's like they they shouldn't have done it and then like they get their just desserts like something happened you're like yeah you totally deserve that and it sort of feels kind of good when you watch that doesn't it it's kind of satisfying so I looked at a couple scenarios let me show you a couple that maybe are just like if you're like me you kind of find them very satisfying so here's a person who double parked I don't know if you can see someone tied with a zip tie <laughs> the shopping cart to their car. You know, when you see that person taking up two spots, you just think to yourself, yeah, that's kind of right. You deserve that. And the next one, so I don't know if you can see in the top picture, there's some sanitation workers who, are, who need to get to those uh, receptacles and they can't because that car's blocking the way. And then look at the bottom picture. That's how they left it. You can see them, if you have good eyes, you can see them walking away. Like, yeah, good luck getting out of there, right? The third one. So this person posted, they said, I just braided my horse's hair. They clearly hated the entire process. After which they drank from the water trough and immediately spit that water in my boot. <laughs> now, again, I can't say for sure that that's what the horse was doing, but it seems like really good revenge on the horse. Oh yeah, you're going to braid my hair. I'll teach you. And then the last one. Now, this one is a little hard to see. This is a field where some people are working and someone dumped their garbage, but they left their address on a piece of garbage. And the house below is that address with all the garbage in front of it. So when you look at those, do you kind of feel like, yeah, you deserve that, right? I mean, it's a little satisfying. There's something in us that's like, yeah, that's right. Deal with that, right? Well, do you know... But according to our Lord, that's an indicator that something is wrong with our hearts, that we like that. That the Lord himself teaches us a different way and to approach things differently. And as I looked, I went down a rabbit hole on those things this week. 
It's like revenge stories. You can look those up online. There's a lot of them. And what was interesting is they were like applauded, right? It's like, yeah, that's right. They deserved it. And as we look at the text today, this week, as we look at what the Lord speaks to us, he's going to tell us to do the exact opposite of what we just witnessed. The exact opposite. And he's going to say, as we've been learning in the Sermon on the Mount, like he began by saying, I've given you a new kind of heart. I've made you a new kind of person. When he says the Beatitudes, blessed is the person who's meek, blessed is the person who's poor in spirit. He's not just saying that's a good way to be. He's saying that's who you are in me. That's who I've made you. Now you just need to live that out. And then after saying who we are to be, he goes on to say what we are to do. And that's where we are in these last several weeks where we're learning what are the kinds of things we do as a result of who we are, the transformation that's taken place in us. And then Jesus has said to us, I've come not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And one of the things that that means is that he is the one who has come in fulfillment of what Jeremiah chapter 31 says, which is when the new covenant comes to replace the old covenant, I tell you, God speaking to his people, that I will give you a new heart. Instead of there being a law on the outside of you that you have to try to obey, I will take that law that represents my righteousness and my goodness and my holiness, and I will write it on your heart. I will so radically transform who you are on the inside through this new covenant, through the sacrifice of my son, that you will no longer have to try and adhere to an outward-facing righteousness. I will plant that righteousness inside of you. That's how much I'm gonna change you. And then he begins to speak to us about what it means that he fulfills the law and the prophets in that way, giving us that new heart by teaching us the kinds of things that people with those new hearts, the kind of things that they do. And so last week, you know, we talked about the kind of truthfulness that we're supposed to speak with. Was that convicting to anybody? It's convicting to me as I studied that and prepared to teach you. You just think, I, don't, I shouldn't need an oath for people to know that I'm speaking the truth. They should just know that when I speak, I speak the truth because I'm a follower of Jesus and he is the truth. We talked about adultery and lust and we've talked about marriage and divorce and we've, we've seen all these things that Jesus says to us about the kinds of hearts we're supposed to have. And not unlike those, we come to that same idea again this week where he speaks to us about how we should think about getting back at people who hurt us. And we're gonna find that what Jesus is gonna teach us is we do not, those who are followers of Christ, these people with these new hearts, radically transformed, that we don't hurt those who hurt us. And even further, we seek to bless those who hurt us. So that's what we're going to find. Now, let me give you a little bit of a roadmap before I read to you our, our four verses that we're looking at today. For this week and next week, we're going to break. You're going to find this a very similar idea next week as this week. There's going to be a lot of overlap between the ideas. Now, I do think that this week, uh, it's not 100% certain, but I do think this week, because Jesus is almost going to begin with kind of a central idea and then expand that in ever-increasing ways, and I'll show you what I mean by that in just a moment, I think he predominantly has in mind this week how those who we might call our neighbor, those who we might call our fellow followers of Jesus, how we treat each other. Now, he does say, you know, in one of our verses, he talks about the evil one. So it's possible he has in mind uh, a person who's doing evil who's not a believer, but he may very well have in mind those who are within the family of faith and yet hurt each other. Would you agree that we can hurt each other? And we do hurt each other. And he calls us to behave differently than that. But how we then respond to that. So, 
you're going to find that there's a lot of overlap. Now, it, this is kind of always brings to mind like this old preacher's joke that preachers love, right? There's this preacher and he, uh, this pastor, and he preaches to his congregation. And, and this sermon was particularly powerful. And afterwards, different members of the congregation, I mean, a lot of them come up and like, pastor, whew, powerful sermon. It's a great sermon, right? And he's like, thanks. I'm glad it was encouraging, you know? Next week, the very following week, he preaches the exact same sermon. I mean, word for word, the same. And everybody thinks, well, that's a little weird. But, I mean, it was a strong sermon. So they said, okay. You know, and they went, okay. And afterwards, pastor, was a strong sermon. Thank you for that. And he says, mm-hmm. Week three, same sermon. Word for word, exactly the same. And now people are starting to think it's a little weird. They're starting to think, what's going on? Like, is he just getting lazy? Do you not want to prepare another sermon? He just keeps preaching the same sermon? I mean, he knows, we know. It was the one from last week, right? Sure enough, well, okay, whatever. They don't say much, but they kind of walk out, scratching their heads and think, all right, Fourth week, same sermon. By this point, the leaders are getting concerned. Like, maybe we need to let this guy go. Somebody finally comes up and they say, no, why have you preached the same sermon four weeks in a row? To which the pastor replies, you start living it, I'll stop preaching it. Ugh. Right? So my point there is that you're going to see repetition, not the same sermon, I promise. But you're going to see repetition both next week and this week of the same idea, but with expanding implications. Now, here's what I mean by that. This week, Jesus is going to say to us, don't hurt those who hurt you. And then he's going to say, let me expand that a little bit. And he's saying, not only do I not want you to retaliate against them and hurt them, I want you to seek to bless them. That's bigger, right? And harder. And then next week, what we're going to see is he's going to go broader than that. And he's going to go, I don't just want you to do that to your neighbor. I want you to do it to your enemy. That's even broader. And then as if to say, okay, don't just not retaliate. Don't just seek to bless. And don't just do that for your neighbor, but also your enemy. You don't just need to not retaliate and bless. You need to love them. That's where we're headed. And that's waiting. Would you agree that's worth a couple weeks? And kind of think about and ponder and wrestle with and say, wow. So the end result of the roadmap that we're on now in this section and the next section, they're tied together because they're basically the same idea, is don't retaliate, but bless. And don't just seek to bless those who are in the family of faith. Bless those who are your enemies. And don't just seek to bless them who are your enemies. Seek to what? Love them and pray for them. And so we're going to see the implications of that. And we need to wrestle with that a bit. We need to sit with that. So big idea for this week is very simple. Christians don't hurt those who hurt them, but they seek to bless them. First two parts of those expanding concentric circles. Christians don't hurt those who hurt them. Instead, they seek to bless them. So let's look at the text together. Let's see where we find that. And then we'll, we'll take that apart piece at a piece at a time. So beginning in chapter five, verse 38 through verse 42. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So it's a challenging text. Now, we're going to break that into three parts. The first is the first part that I said. Where do we see this idea that Christians don't hurt those who hurt them? 
Then the second part is to ask, where do we see Jesus saying, actually go beyond that? Don't just not retaliate, but bless. That's the second part. And then I just want to ask the question, why do we do that and how do we do it? Okay, so that's where we're headed. Why do we do it? How do we do it? So let's start with the first part. Christians don't hurt those who hurt them. Where do we see this in the text? Well, Jesus begins with this statement when he says, you have heard that it was said. And we remember that in these six sections that we've been looking at, and this is section number five, we have heard, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. So in all of those places, Jesus is saying, the scribes and the Pharisees teach you this, but I teach you something different or more. So the question becomes, when Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is he saying, I reject that outright, that it's absolutely um, false or that they're teaching you something false about it. And here's the answer to that question. Jesus is not uh, repudiating the principle of what we call limited retribution. So this law in the Old Testament is in three different places. Uh, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And in each of those places, what Jesus is, or what the law is saying is do not uh, punish beyond what is right for the crime committed. In other words, the law is there to prevent someone from saying, you poked out my eye, therefore I get to kill you. The idea is that the law is present in order to bring about a limited retribution. You can take action against someone to the degree that they harmed you. Now, when Jesus is talking here, there's good reason to think that he is not forbidding that as a practice under the law. In other words, if someone wrongs you to go before a judge and a court and to say wrong was done and a penalty is needed is appropriate. Jesus actually isn't addressing sort of the legal system. He is saying in your interpersonal relationships, in your individual life, you yourself don't seek retribution. You yourself don't pursue, you poked out my eye, my eye therefore I will poke out your eye. Don't seek to bring that retaliation. He's not condemning the idea that it will be appropriate to seek justice under the law. And in fact, if we seek through appropriate channels, right justice, then we don't need to take action ourselves. Do you see that? So that's the first thing we understand is that Jesus is essentially teaching us about our interpersonal relationships to not take revenge for ourselves or to seek that out. Now, after saying, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, and then what's the next phrase? Do not resist the evil one. Now again, here he may be speaking outside the family of faith or he may be using the idea of the one who does evil uh, and it's possible for believers to do things that are not right, things that are not good and, and Christ would call those things evil, right? And so when that's the case, he says, well, how do you do that or what do you do with that? Now, I want to make sure that we don't do something here. I'm about to give you some reasons why Jesus is not just saying, hey, whenever somebody asks you to give them money, give them money until you're broke and you have nothing left. And whenever someone uh, slaps you and, and hurts you, that you just have to keep taking it. Like just turn the other cheek and get hit again and get hit again and get hit again. I'm gonna help you understand why Jesus is teaching us something that's a principle, but not meant to be sort of a letter of the law thing. But if we find ourselves focusing only on the exceptions to this rule, you have heard the wrong thing, okay? So I don't want you to focus on the exceptions, but I need to note a few of them. 
So here's the thing that I, I want you to understand. When Jesus says, do not resist the evil one, and then he says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. So a couple things about this. Recognize, number one, that Jesus is not coming to give another set of rules to replace an old set of rules. He's not intending in the Sermon on the Mount to say, you've heard this old set of rules, now we're replacing with a new set of rules that are intended to be applied rigidly in every scenario. If that were the case, do you recognize the result of this teaching that would be that we would all be naked and broke? Yes, because we would give our cloak as well as our tunic and we would give all our money. Anytime someone says, give me $10,000, you'd have to say, okay, yeah, because Jesus said, anyone asks, I gotta give, right? Jesus isn't intending... He's not intending for us to say this must be rigidly applied in a legalistic manner. What he's trying to do is in strong terms teach us to live according to a certain principle. He's trying to teach us a principle and then let us live according to that principle with this new heart that we have because of him. Anytime you recognize that the application to the nth degree of some text would make sort of the application of that text not only untenable but almost illogical, recognize that it needs to be informed by other places in scripture and you need to think about what's taking place there. So that's number one, is that Jesus is teaching us a principle, not a rigid application of a set of rules. Fair enough? You with me? Yes? Okay, awesome, cool, just making sure. And then the second thing that I want you to see is that, and this is always really helpful, remember, let scripture interpret scripture. So when we see this, do not resist the evil one, we need to recognize that in Ephesians chapter six and in 1 Peter chapter five, we are told specifically by Peter in one and by Paul in the other through the Holy Spirit that we are to resist evil. In Ephesians, Paul writes, resist the evil one. In other words, don't just let worldly philosophies, worldly ideas have sway, work against them. Speak against what is evil. In other words, pursue justice and righteousness. Don't be a person who just lets the poor be trampled on, who lets the oppressed be trampled on. Don't be that kind of person. Stand up for what is right. Speak out against worldly philosophies that are not right or good and they're counter to the gospel. You with me? In 1 Peter, uh, Peter says, he talks about resisting the devil so that he may flee from you. He says, resist the evil one. He's talking about the devil specifically there. And he will flee from you. In other words, we have these express commands to resist evil. So what does Jesus mean then? Are these just contradicting one another? When Jesus says, don't resist the evil one, and Peter and Paul are saying, resist, resist evil. Well, in using those to interpret one another and inform how we think about them, what we then come to understand is to say, okay, well, Jesus can't then mean never stand up against wrongdoing, never stand up against evil in the world because we have that command to do that. So then what we have to do is let the rest of this text, Jesus unpack what he means by don't resist the evil one in the rest of the text. And when we find the verses that go on, we understand that what Jesus is saying when he says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. That's a way of Jesus saying, what's the natural inclination that you and I have when someone hits us? What would we want to do? Hit them back, right? There's a reason everybody just knew the answer to that question. Nobody went, I don't know. I have no idea. You all immediately went, oh yeah, I know. Hit them back. That's because that's what's in us by our natures, right? Outside of Christ, it's our flesh. And so when Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek, what he's saying is, do not retaliate. 
when someone hurts you, don't hurt them in return. That's what it means to not resist the evil one. In other words, don't take action against them when they hurt you. Don't hurt them back. So that's the first part we see here in the text. And then he's gonna expand that circle and he's gonna say, we gotta go even further than that. But that's, let's make sure we capture that first part, okay? When someone hurts us, if we're followers of Jesus, do we hurt them back, church? No, that's what Jesus is teaching us here. Now listen, that does not mean, to go back to what I said at first, that does not mean if you're in a marriage and in that marriage someone is harming you, it is right and good that you would take legal action in that scenario. Yes, it's right and good that you would do that. If someone attacks you and harms you, this text is not saying, well, just stand there and let them keep beating you up. It's okay to walk away. And it's okay to take right legal action where it's appropriate in the courts. But in an interpersonal level in the moment, do we strike back to harm those who hurt us? No, that's what Jesus is teaching us. Christians don't hurt those who hurt them. Now, think about, let's be done with the exceptions there. Can we be? And let's now think about the application to ourselves. How often do you and I justify retaliation? And perhaps you might be sitting here and thinking to yourself, well, I've been sort of struck before and I didn't strike them back in the same way. But how often have you justified speaking a word about someone of gossip against them because they said something mean about you and you said something about them? How often have you had someone who's withdrawn relationship with you for unjustified reasons? They've turned a cold shoulder against you. They've left you and you then speak ill of them or seek to harm them. How often have you had someone in your place of employment who lied about you to see if they could jump you in the line for promotion and advancement and made you look bad in front of your, your boss or your coworkers and you've used that to justify doing the same to them? And Jesus is saying here, that's not the actions that come out of the new heart that I have placed in you, follower of mine. You are different, radically so. I've changed you and you are to trust me, rely on me and not retaliate when someone seeks to harm you. That's challenging, isn't it? And now he's gonna go even further. We would, that would be enough today, wouldn't it? It'd be enough. It'd be like, okay, whew, I'm going to try to apply that one. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not done yet. Because I'm not just going to tell you don't retaliate. I'm going to go further. And let's see how he does that. Now let's turn to that second part of our big idea that Jesus doesn't just say Christians don't hurt those who hurt them, but they actually seek to bless them instead. And let's look at where we see that. Verses 40 through 42. So get your eyes on the text with me again. Having just said, turn the other cheek. Now Jesus in verse 40 says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So let me give you a little bit of background there. When Jesus is saying that, he's imagining a scenario where someone sues you, takes legal action against you that's unjustified. You did nothing wrong, but they're taking you to court and they're going to try and take something from you. And the tunic in Jesus' day and age was the garment that was worn closer to the skin. It was the undergarment. 
And it was legally justified. You could try to sue someone and take their tunic. But what's interesting is there were laws in the Old Testament that expressly forbid taking someone's cloak. You weren't allowed to do it. You could sue them for tunics. You could sue them for other possessions, but never their cloak because they didn't want people to be left poor and destitute. So there was a need for people to have a cloak. And so it was against the law to actually sue them for their cloak. So no one would have sued you for your cloak. And what does Jesus say here? Someone sues you in an unjustified manner. Don't just give them your tunic. Give them your cloak as well. Go the extra step. Go the extra mile. Now, again, we went from don't just retaliate to now hey, this is still an unjust situation, just like the striking on the cheek was. But I'm not telling you don't retaliate. I'm actually telling you give the cloak, which is, can you see? That means go further. Same idea in the next phrase. When Jesus says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them where? Two miles. Well, the idea here, the background, is that under Roman rule, whenever Rome took over another country and they were, they were enforcing their discipline there, they had a lot of projects that they would do, like infrastructure projects, roads that they would build, aqueducts or aquifers that they would build. And as they were building those, they claimed the right to be able to take you, whatever you were doing, they could make you stop it. So you're, you're at work, you're doing your normal day's work, you're a carpenter or something, and you're doing that. They could come up to you, stop you, say you have to stop what you're doing and carry this load for us, but they could only make you do it for a certain distance. And at that point, they had to let you go back to your work. And then they had to find somebody else to carry that. But they could, they could enforce that upon you with no compunction. There was no limitation to that other than just go to here and then put the load down. We'll get somebody else and then they'll carry it, right? It's the same idea when Simon of Cyrene carries the cross for Jesus. That's what they're doing. They're saying, we can force you to do this as Roman soldiers. And so he carries the cross for Jesus. It's actually the same term in the Greek, uh, in this text and in that text. So here's the idea then. Jesus says, if that happens, it's unjust that this, this unjust group of people ruling over you are making you stop your work and do something for them. And then he says, don't just go one mile, but do what? Go two miles. In other words, show them how radically transformed you are, that you don't just do what's required of you, even though it's unjust, you go further. Now, as if to put a cherry on the top of that, you can probably see from both of those passages or those examples that what Jesus is saying is clearly, don't just not retaliate, seek to go further, seek to bring a blessing. Now he goes to a place where he's not even talking about something unjust. And he says, if someone asks or someone begs from you, do what? Give. If someone needs to borrow from you, do what? Lend. So in those scenarios, now he's gone, this is not somebody doing an injustice to you. This is someone just in need or asking from you. And he says, again, not a legalistic application. You always have to give to anyone who asks, but we should be very careful about turning away people when Jesus is saying to us, seek a way to bless, seek a way to go above and beyond. So can you see the progression of the text, church? Yes, from non-retaliation to blessing to actually seeking to do more, going above and beyond. That's the principle that Jesus is wanting to teach us today. Don't just seek to not hurt those who hurt you, but go further and ask, how can I bless them? Now, anybody who's sober-minded feels the weight of that because I recognize that what I'm saying to you right now is somebody, I trust, here's what happens every week, 
because God moves through his word, is I preach a general idea and some of you will come up to me afterwards and go, it was like you were speaking right to me. And that's because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's bringing someone to mind. He's putting a picture of someone. There's a situation, there's a scenario and he's saying, this is exactly where I want to apply this in your life because that person hurts you. And Jesus nowhere denies that it was actual injustice or that it hurt. He doesn't deny that. Praise God for that. He doesn't say you're crazy to think that that was an injustice. He doesn't say that. But he says, but I've changed you. And now the way you respond to that injustice is very different than how you would have responded. Don't just not retaliate. Good job if you've done that. He says, go further. So I want you to think with me for a minute. Who is coming to mind? What situation now is in your mind? How are you supposed to seek to bless that person? Think about that for a minute. Because that is the call of this scripture. Seek to bless those who hurt you instead of retaliating against them. Now, with those things in mind, with that principle in mind, let's ask the question. Um, well, let me, let me make this point too here. I'm, I'm saying the principle is the thing. Clearly, Jesus is trying to impart a principle, not a legalistic understanding here. But one of the things you shouldn't miss is that in all the scenarios Jesus gives, here's what he covers. He covers our possessions, cloaks and tunics. He covers our time, one mile, go two. He covers doing tasks with our physical bodies, exerting ourselves and giving ourselves to seek to bless rather than to retaliate. And then he talks about our money. So we've got possessions, tasks, time, and money. It's almost as if Jesus is saying there is no part of your life that is out of bounds for this principle. Almost. That was a joke. They're all in bounds. Do you get that that's what he's saying? He's saying there's no part of your life that you can say, I'm not gonna apply this principle in that area of my life. If he's gonna address all those, those would probably be the ones where we'd be prone to say, I'm gonna withhold. He's saying, nope, you gotta seek a way to bless. Bless with your possessions, bless with your time, bless with your tasks, bless with your money. That's what you're to seek after. Now, why do we have to do this and how? Why is it that Jesus is taking time here and then again next week to teach us this principle of not retaliating, of not hurting those who hurt us. And the reason is really simple. It's because our chief purpose in life is to glorify God. And the way we glorify him is to make him visible to others, is to show the world what he's like. Would you agree with that? Listen, Jesus, God doesn't need a PR firm. He doesn't need anybody to make him look great. He just needs people to see him as he is. And all his beauty, majesty, glory, and wonder. And our job is to help that be as clear as possible for people. To help people see how great God is. And if God is a God who in spite of our rebellion against him, rather than hurt us as we sought to hurt him, rather than do that, he chose to bless. He sent his son who died for our sin and rose from the dead. And if that's who God is and we have to put him on display, the reason why Jesus is teaching us this principle is because he's saying you will only make God be seen when you choose not to hurt those who hurt you because that's who I am. And when you choose to bless those who sought to hurt you because that's who I am. 
That's what I've done, and I did it for you. He did not seek to hurt you when you sought to hurt him. And make no mistake about it, you and I, we raised our fist at God in rebellion every time we want to be in control of our own lives, every time we claim to be, every time we're full of pride or lust or anger, we are raising our fist at rebellion against the king of the universe. And whenever we've done that, rather than bring retribution against us for that hurt, what God did was forgive us. What he did was send his son. And that's what we're supposed to display for the world. That kind of grace, that kind of mercy through a transformed heart. And believer, when you hurt those who hurt you, you are not displaying what God is like. Now let me say, now let me turn to the how. How do we do that? If that's why, because we're supposed to display what God is like, how do we do that? And the first thing I want to say is actually those of you who are not followers of Jesus, I want you to understand that there's no way to do this apart from having Jesus inside of you. There just really isn't. If I can just be bluntly honest with you, unless you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, unless you receive him and he comes and takes up residence in you. Now, I'm not saying those of us who have that do this perfectly, right? I'm not saying we do it perfectly, but I'm telling you there's no way to do it apart from that. Maybe you can do it once. Maybe you can do it twice. There's no way to not strike out against those who strike at you unless you worship a God and he indwells you who has done this. Who in spite of those who have rebelled against him sent his son into the world. And then listen, look at what Jesus did. Jesus, when those who harmed him, what did he do? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's who we follow. That's who lives inside of us. And you can't do it without him. You just can't. So the first answer to the question, how do you do this, is believe in Jesus. That's the first answer. Believe that you're separated from God by your sin. Believe that Jesus is the son of God. Believe that he perfectly lived life in righteousness and in holiness. Believe that his death on the cross paid for your sin. Believe that he rose from the dead and in rising from the dead, he gave you the opportunity through faith to be reconciled to God if you would believe in him and he will change you forever. That's the first answer to the question. Believe, believe. Now, follower of Jesus, how do we do this? How do we not hurt those who hurt us, but rather seek to bless them? Well, the first answer to that question for you who believe is remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I told you, Jesus started with who we are and then he moved to what we're supposed to do. Do you remember some of the things that he told us when he said, blessed is this kind of person? And in saying that, he wasn't saying, you'll be blessed if you are this kind of person, although that's true. He was saying, this is who you are. Now live this out. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, who are the poor in spirit? Do we remember? They're the self-forgetful people. They're the people who aren't concerned about themselves. They're concerned about others. They come to God empty-handed, expecting nothing. They're spiritually bankrupt. They know they don't deserve a thing from God. Everything that he would give that's good is grace. It's grace. It's, it's undeserved favor and merit and love. It's, it's not, the poor in spirit never feel entitled to anything. They know that everything is a gift. And when you know that's who you are in Christ, you're a, you're a person who is poor in spirit. Therefore, you're self-forgetful. You don't think, what do I deserve? What should I get? You think about others. When that's who you are, 
becomes much easier to not hurt those who hurt you. And you resonate with what Jesus said. If they, what? If they hurt me, they will, they will hurt you. That will be the case, right? The second part of remember who you are is remember that Jesus also said, blessed are the meek. And you remember that we said meekness means humility inwardly and gentleness outwardly. Humility inwardly and gentleness outwardly. So remember, that's who God has made you. This is, this is the new heart that's been placed in you. And if that's in you, how can you do anything other than not hurt those who hurt you, but seek to bless them? That's, that's who you are by nature. The next thing I'll give you is the last one I'll give you, actually. I and mean, then how do we do this? Believe. Remember who you are if you do believe. And then the third thing I would say to you is, Go again and again to the sufferings of Christ. There is merit and value in meditating on the sufferings of our Lord. And not just like, I come to church on Sunday and I do that, or every, every Good Friday I do that, but to regularly put the sufferings of Christ in front of you. Because when you see his sufferings, undeserved, unmerited, and recognize they should have been yours, that should have been you, that should have been me, it humbles you. It, it puts trust of him in your heart as you ponder those sufferings, as you weigh them and mull them over in your mind. And you're also, as you consider them, considering the preeminent example of someone who did not hurt when he was hurt, but blessed. That's what you're considering. That's what you're weighing. It's why Hebrews 12, verse two, you remember what it says? Right? It says, set your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. In other words, when it says set your eyes on him, and then it talks about him enduring the cross, what it's saying is not just look to him in the heavens in his resurrected glory, that's good, but actually set your eyes on his sufferings. Set your eyes on his sufferings if you want to know how to endure shame. If you want to know how to count it joy when you encounter trials, see him in his sufferings, it will bring great value to you in doing the same. Are you with me? And then the other side of that suffering is the joy and the, and the glory of the resurrection. When you set your eyes on that cross and on those sufferings, then turn your attention to the resurrection after that, having pondered that. And remember that the result of those sufferings, of not hurting those who hurt him, was eternal glory. And the promises of like Romans chapter eight, that we will be with him in glory if we suffer with him, Romans eight tells us. If we endure and persevere in suffering with him, then we will be with him in glory. In other words, the indicator that we are truly his is that we suffer with him when that suffering is brought to us, when he calls us to endure it. This is why Christians don't hurt those who hurt them, but seek to bless them. And it's how we do it. Let me pray for us that God would show us how in the weeks ahead, that he continue to help us to walk in that and then we'll worship him together. Lord, we thank you for your word and we know that it is true. And we wrestle with texts like these. We confess before you that we are uh, insufficient of ourselves to obey this command. We recognize the tendency in ourselves to lash out at those who hurt us. And we pray that you would change us. We thank you that 
when we do that lashing out, that's not who we truly are. It's not just a figment of our imagination. That's not who we truly are. It's who you've told us we are not. And so help us to be who we truly are. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and apply your word to us in great detail into every area of life where we need to walk differently than we are walking and that you would show us how to bring blessing into the lives of those who have hurt us. Show us how. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.